0: VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 Gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24/7 friendly support even on holidays and a 7-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at lino.com/myangularstory. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode
1: of my JavaScript story. We're also going to put this on my Angular story, so don't get confused. Um, I'm here with Merrick Christensen. Merrick, do you want to say hi?
2: Yeah, it's been a minute since I've been on a podcast. How are you, Jack? Doing all right. How are you? I'm fantastic.
1: Now, you were um, a co-host on Adventures in Angular for a while. No, it was JS Jabber. Oh, was it JavaScript Jabber?
2: Yeah. I was on the first, like shoot, man. Huge window of episodes for yeah. J.S. Jabber.
1: Were did we ever have you on Adventures in Angular? I could have sworn we did. I
2: was like going to be on Adventures in Angular, but that was when I was sort of transitioning out of Angular into the React space.
1: Oh gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Well, anyway, um, It's great to have you back on the show and just, uh, you know, kind of find out where you're at now, what you're working on. Uh, Do you want to kind of give people an idea of where you're at?
2: Yeah, right now I work at a company called Webflow, and we try to empower people to create software without code. It's almost – you can almost think of it like uh, an alternative to Squarespace or Wix, except for we give 100% design control. So you start out with a blank canvas, and you're basically – you know, writing HTML, CSS, JS with a visual editor.
1: Cool. That sounds really interesting.
2: Oh, I've loved it. Yeah, it's been it's been, it's been awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's a recent change for you, isn't it?
2: Yep, I switched over to Webflow a few months ago. Um, yep. Prior to that, I was at a company called Domo for six years, six and a half years.
1: Yep. Yeah, you were at Domo when I met you, and you worked with Joe there, so.
2: Yep. Cool. Yeah, that's that's how I met Joe and and all the friends that we did in G-Conf together.
1: Yep. Well, let's let's back up and kind of capture your story from the beginning. Um, usually, the first question that we ask is, "How did you get into programming?"
2: Yeah. So I I started a band when I was like twelve, like a typical awesome. pre, post Backstreet Boys pre email
1: band. You were called post Backstreet Boys. Man, I am old.
2: <laughs> oh man. It was uh it was pretty ridiculous. The the name of the band was Orpheus Jolt, which uh looking back that we sunk our ship like right from the get go, naming it Orpheus <laughs> Jolt. It was one of those like look up a dictionary and merge the word with like a Greek god because those uh-huh. you know, it was so epic. And I wanted to build a website for uh Orpheus Jolt. And Microsoft front page is what was sitting on uh, the family computer. And so I just kind of pieced together a, a website through a visual editor. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, it's, and it started there. It was pretty, uh, pretty gruesome. I also learned that at the time you could only ship sites made in front page on an IIS server with oh. – <laughs> With a front page plugin so which was more expensive than all the other hosting options, right. and I remember being so annoyed and that's when my distaste for proprietary technology started
1: <laughs> yeah, Microsoft's gotten a lot better about that kind of garbage
2: they have stuff. they oh Microsoft is, is is doing so many good things,
1: yeah, but I remember yeah they were they were so evil because they uh, they did they charged a ton.
2: All of that yeah. stuff. yeah man Orpheus Jolt we couldn't afford it we could not afford
1: it yep so so you were uh, doomed to ignominity huh
2: <laughs> indeed honestly front page is probably the reason my band didn't succeed that's there probably the go. sole
0: the
1: sole reason
0: darn it Microsoft
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so so started there um
2: I moved on to Dreamweaver because I thought that's what the pros used oh yeah Um, I come from a family that is incredibly supportive, though not technical. And, and they also thought that's what the pros used. And, um, yeah, my dad, my dad hooked me up with some freelance opportunities. I built a, a massage bed company's website in Salt Lake with Dreamweaver. And once I started getting like paid to, to, um, create things my mind was totally blown i was like if i can if this if this makes enough money to be able to get by this is what i want to do right you know and that was that was 13 14 and all went from there
1: wow that's that's awesome um i kind of got into it when i was like 16 17 so at least web development so yeah that that's pretty young
2: yeah i i think it was I'm uh, really, 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 really lucky. I've been interested in computers my my whole life, and I uh-huh. I saved up for half a computer, and my amazing dad bought the other half when I was eight. And oh, wow. it started. I started out wanting to make stuff with PowerPoint, you know, um, <laughs> and I can't tell you how many grownups I must have annoyed so much having them sit down and watch really dumb PowerPoints. They (laughs) they probably hated the idea of watching PowerPoints like everyone does. Yep. And yet they've got this like eight year old starry eyed kid expecting them to sit there for like two hours and not get bored.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. It started out from uh, like PowerPoint and then programming wasn't even in my consciousness until later on.
1: Awesome. So in, how in did fact, you get I got done? my
2: first like job. Yeah, oh, my ahead. first job job I didn't even I didn't even get get into until I didn't even know that people wrote code by hand. I was <laughs> I, I started and they gave me this editor called Homesite Plus. Have you ever used Homesite Plus? Uh huh. Nope. Oh man, it was like Macromedia's version of VS Code. I guess would be the. Uh-huh. the macro- and um it was just a code editor and i was like what am i supposed to do with this i, I can't build anything with this and that was when i really started to actually have to code it's, it's when i uh, got a job where they gave me an editor and they didn't give me dreamweaver I it's like oh crap the jig is up that's
1: awesome so how did you get into javascript then
2: um, I was able to move out of this company called Infogenics where I was just doing HTML and CSS, like, and CSS then was not CSS today. Oh no, no. It was like uh table, table layouts, basically. Uh-huh. Um, I got, um, what you might call world's greatest table layout abuser. It was, it was a forte of all of us in that era. And, uh. <laughs> ping fixes and the like but if you yeah. can make a layout that, and you're like it's so funny because you used to could show you that i'm gonna copy and paste this paragraph like six times and if you could show that your layout grew people were like no you actually did it a drop shadowed layout that grows it, it was <laughs> the, the, bar, the bar was so much lower when i oh, snuck yeah. into this operation uh yeah anyways so after Infogenics, where I was just doing HTML CSS, I got this company in uh, Utah, where I live, named Red Olive, and I I emailed the CEO of Red Olive a few times, and I was just like, listen, I really, I mean, in my head, they're like the coolest place in the universe to be, and and they are an incredibly cool place, but uh, I, I just... I just hustled trying to get in there, and eventually I got him to reply to me and kind of give me a shot. And it's so funny for me to look back because it's still on the Red Olive blog. They have like a, this blog article about me that's like this kid kept annoying us, and we're glad he was so persistent because it's worked out pretty well. Nice. Um, but once I got to Red Olive, they actually gave me Flash, and I did Flash there for like a minute and. I came to JavaScript through ActionScript. Uh huh. Um, I did ActionScript two for a, two for a, a long while, a um, well, long while, about a year and a half. Yep. And as JavaScript got more performant, because back because historically JS was so slow that doing like animations and things like that were almost yeah. a non-starter. Like you couldn't. I remember the first time I saw MooTools, it was like MooTools uh, 1.11 or something like that, and they had this thing called MooEffects, uh-huh. and it, it was uh, it was basically animations, CSS animations on top of MooTools, and I was like, what? You don't have to have this plugin installed to do this, and that that is how I got into JavaScript. It was through ActionScript, I discovered MooTools, MooEffects. Oh, Yep. And uh, that that changed the game for me. So then I stopped, you know, I, I stopped pitching flash. I guess uh, shoot, like widgets. <laughs> 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 they are these embeddable animations. We started doing them in JS, and uh, absolutely loved it. And through mood tools, I met a lot of great mentors. Um, That's that, awesome. That, yeah, that really helped, kind of elevate me out of you know my front page roots
1: so how how does this timing uh fit in with when Steve Jobs essentially announced that the iPhone wouldn't support flash was this way before that then
2: <laughs> this was yeah this was uh 2000 well you know i don't know when when that was it seems like i was past the flash days enough that i was able to be snooty with everybody else and look <laughs> I I don't I don't I don't remember feeling threatened when Steve Jobs did that. I remember feeling like, yeah, I'm done with that Flash Flex era. That was that was for scrubs, you know, Um, funny. Yeah. um, Flex was pretty legit. Flex was super legit, actually. It got me into these things called what they called rich Internet applications, which basically got renamed to spas. Yep. Which are what everybody and their dog does now. Um, but flex kind of spearheaded that and tried to come up with, you know, names and marketing around that notion of, of a client app that you could ship over the web that worked like a desktop app.
1: Yep. Yeah. I remember using some and yeah, always interesting. I actually worked at a company that was doing flex and flash. Um, man, when was that? Like 2008 and, uh, yeah. It was, you know, it was just interesting to see. Okay, we're going to drop this in here, and this in here, and this in here, and it all ties together this way, and it talks to Rails, which was a pain. But yeah, you know, eventually I think all of <laughs> yeah. that JavaScript oh, because <laughs> Steve Jobs came out and said, um, you know, no more Flash.
2: Rest in peace, Flash. Plus, if you had to like integrate it with the end, it was all XML, at least when yeah. I was doing it, and that that was kind of a Uh, pain train
1: yeah we had some other protocol that it was sending data back through and getting data from and rails wasn't really set up to send that format so we we were using experimental library to do it had your own encoders no somebody else had written it but it had issues and so we'd wind up patching it Oof, that sounds painful yeah so i i have written action script not a lot but Funny, it's just funny to hear how that happened. Most people that I talked to that came from Flex and Flash, um, it was well, Steve Jobs made his announcement, and I started transitioning my career. Um, so it's it's interesting to hear that you you found it another way and and you know realized that there was potential there. Of course, at the time, even MooTools really wasn't that mature, you know, compared to what no. we have today. So, what was it that brought you in and made you get excited about something like that? And why not like jQuery or uh, you know uh, Prototype and Scriptaculous or any of the other ones that were out there at the time?
2: Oh man, I I I was such an anti-JQuery <laughs> like I, I I remember being so sad because I was working at this agency, Riser Media, and I did everything in MooTools. I was uh-huh. very down with the object-oriented thinking in terms of classes and composing said uh, classes. And Mutuals was fantastic in that. They had this like, yeah. incredible class-based system that was more powerful than what we have currently um, with, with the ES2015 classes. I mean, those are intentionally kind of pared down, but um, Mutuals had this amazing class-based layer if you really cared a lot about the object-oriented code. And I... I just found the syntax and ability, like the, the way that MooTools made my code look and feel, because they extended they extended built-ins. So uh-huh. they were able. Ruby was really trendy at the time, and yeah. MooTools was able to give you a very similar feeling, um, because they extended built-ins uh, to, to to like a, a Ruby type like like syntax.
1: Oh nice. Um,
2: and I was just very interested in expressiveness and conciseness and cleverness, all things that I'm really critical of now. Um, but 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 younger me um, was very into how magic and how flexible JavaScript was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason that I, that I was able to sort of make the transition. It was a lot like you said. It was very difficult to integrate with co- content management systems, and this is before there were like dominant players. Right. Like WordPress really, uh, really started to dominate after this era, but you had these XML files, or like you said, you have some weird way of trying to get dynamic content into, um, yeah. into. Into Flash, and that was always really frustrating trying to integrate with back-end systems and get that information into into Flash. And JavaScript um, tools had JSON support really really early on, and it just was a very natural uh, way to build, I guess, dynamic dynamic content. Um, yeah, and then and then why the jQuery MooTools thing? I just, jQuery was still under the world view that you should just render everything on the server and enhance it a little, a little bit with some plugins. Uh-huh. And I just had a kind of a distaste for how messy that code got and gets.
1: Yeah.
2: And Mootools was what seemed like it was a lot more interested in <laughs> maintainability and engineering rigor if if if
1: you will. Makes sense. So so you uh, you were doing Mootools tools and stuff. Um at what point did you get into Angular?
2: I got into Angular we did we did a that that was after I had gone to this company Domo uh-huh. and had the opportunity to help kind of lay down the groundwork for the single page application. And we had done it all with AMD um, and backbone. Right, which felt quite natural coming out of the mutuals world because Backbone also offered like a class type e- abstraction.
1: Uh huh.
2: Um, and we ended up hiring uh, Dave Geddes and Aaron Frost and Joe Eames, a bunch of really. Prolific Angular types, and they came in and were interested in switching our application over from like a, the backbone AMD stack into an Angular JS stack, and so I got introduced to Angular through through them. Awesome.
1: So what what was it that made Domo want to pick Angular?
2: I think it was very trendy at the time. To, to switch to Angular, especially because you had these real issues <laughs> with, with Backbone around like key value observation getting so out of hand, where like this model fires this event, that fires this event on this model, and this event on this model fires this event, and each of those were happening in different terms of the event loop, and so state changes became really intractable, and up, keeping the view up to date was also a really manual process with Backbone. There was sort of this notion of like, wire my model up deliberately to a handler and grab my element and change the content myself. Um, and so Angular just provided a way more concise way of doing a lot of the things that were more verbose in Backbone. Uh-huh. And I think the other thing is is, Domo is going into into one of those um, let's hire a, a whole bunch of people modes. And Angular being more structured and less homegrown, I think makes hiring people a lot easier. Like that's one of the stories for I think modern versions of Angular too is you have a more comprehensive or like all encompassing solution that makes onboarding people easier because it's not like um a home engineered stack so to speak um and 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 the testability um joe in particular was very interested in in test driven development and yeah he he uh, angular being built around a dependency injector makes that model that style of development pretty pretty straightforward yeah,
1: yeah absolutely it does Cause you can essentially inject dummies in there and then just make sure that the right thing got called without worrying about whether or not it works as well. Totally.
2: And it's also, I, I mean, I've, I've because, because of my days with Angular, I've come to believe that injecting is like, or rather mocking is kind of a code smell, like testing, um, testing encapsulation, and not implementation details seems to give you a lot more bang for the buck. But, but, but yeah, Angular makes that, that test a specific unit, regardless of whether or not the internals are private or not, like really straightforward.
1: Makes sense. So you're working at Domo, you're doing Angular, life's good. And I'm aware that you've uh, since adopted React. And I know somebody's going to be like, oh, (laughs) you know, I I find that, you know, people usually have reasons for, for changing frameworks. And in a lot of cases, you know, they're interesting things to dive into. So, so why react? Was it just that you changed jobs to a company doing react or were there specific things about the framework that you just got excited about?
2: No, I actually started a new, a new, um, code base at Domo about, Three three years ago and I chose to start it with React. Um clear, clear back then. Uh-huh. Um and there the there's some there's some primary reasons. I I found a lot of the key value observation that was frustrating to me with backbone, you also have with Angular scopes. Um scopes are kind of this implicit dependency and that became intractable Uh but another big reason was just I I really lost confidence in the idea of templates in general writing things in like some sort of DSL that then compiles into JS whereas uh, React just giving you JS reminded me a lot more of I guess my really my, my days with Mood Tools, but uh-huh. not having any limitations around how I could express those kinds of things. I also kind of feel like I got um very convinced that two-way data binding was not worth its weight. And lastly, the ability to build React into bundles that are like easily code split and isolated is just insane because it's so well i mean each component is so encapsulated depending on how you how you decide to architect it like i I just felt more uh more freedom to architect it how i wanted to and that i could ship a more efficient bundle and not trade in maintainability cost for those traits so 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 to me react just fit a lot better my mental model for how to build client-side applications um
1: Uh uh-huh
2: And still and still does. I've really I don't I don't know that I've been happier with a with a library and ecosystem in in my 10 years of doing this than than I have React.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I I hear people talk about how, well, this framework's faster. or This framework, you know, is is better at these kinds of apps. And I, I find that that's generally not true. It, it really does come down to the way that you think about and architect your apps. And some people pr- prefer one way over the other. But most yeah. of these frameworks do really well with 80 to 90% of the problem space out there. And you may find that you're in that other 10% where one of these is going to really shine and the others won't. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting to me to see, okay, so what are the trade-offs that matter to Merrick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's interesting
2: because I used to think that this was something that could be pursued in this objective. Let's think about the problem. And what we do is we look at some design and we think, okay, here's, here's the problem space for this, this design, this Photoshop file, this sketch file, whatever it is you, you may receive. And you design your technical architecture out from that. Right. Yep. And people, we try to pretend like we're not humans and be incredibly uh we we debate with all these like biases that we won't bring to the surface because we're kind of embarrassed of them and i think that programming is very much still an art form in that you can't separate it from the people that are going to be writing the code and how you how your teams philosophies and ideals and communication structure should all be considered into how you architect your code technically. And it's interesting because companies don't often think about like, hey, how does this company plan to grow? Are we going to acquire a bunch of companies? If we're going to acquire a bunch of companies, it might make sense to architect our code technically uh-huh. that that allows for more isolated you know, sub companies within our company. Or are we going to ask people to assimilate? In which case we might optimize for a really well-documented, really comprehensive framework. And yeah. it, architecting your code technically for the business's life cycle, rather than like one specific expression of of the problem is something that I, I hadn't even considered until like eight or nine years into doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it brings in a whole bunch of subjectivity that's really uncomfortable.
1: Right. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and it's funny because I, I still see people go to the camps, you know, the Vue camp yeah. or the React camp or the Angular camp, and I find that that's usually counterproductive because then you're not having the conversations about how you do code. So. Oh,
2: man. It's it's given me this massive amount of respect for languages like Go, Um and some of these where they're intentionally boring and intentionally underfeatured because they don't want your team to waste time talking about whether you're going to use, you know, an FP heavy style or, or, or right. a, a mutation heavy style or an imperative style, whatever it may be. Because every team, it's so funny, you switch companies and every team is having the same discussions. It's and so you have <laughs> you have different people from these sub camps arguing the same points that yeah. are all written about ad nausea in the form of medium think pieces and snarky tweets. And it just is daunting to think of how much money and time and energy and emotional energy goes into battling kind of minute technical details that I it, – it makes me wonder if there's not things we can do technically or mechanistically to – lower the risk of technical decisions such that that you don't have the mm, the winner take all uh debates in every single company um and that's one of those things where maybe technical architecture uh could be an answer to trying to to create safer less risky ways for people to adopt new tech
1: um yep absolutely yeah so what are you working on now?
2: Yeah, I work. I'm working on uh, Webflow, which I I've absolutely loved. It turns out every company I've worked to, I've gravitated to some sort of like architecture type team or design system team, and I realized that I really love to solve meta problems, like uh, rather than build a website, building a tool to help people build websites, or like in some of the open source projects, rather than like you know, writing tests, building some tools that help other people write tests. <laughs> like I, I, I really enjoy that meta layer. And Webflow has been an amazing company because that's what the product is, right? We, we try and make this amazing platform, the internet. Mm-hmm. We try to remove barriers for people to be able to actually create for it. Like it's, it's the most amazing thing that's happened to mankind in terms of just the ability to express and reach a massive audience with yep. limited energy. And yet the, n- the number of people that can still meaningfully express their ideas onto the internet, there's this huge barrier of learning how to code. Yeah. And some people are coming at that from teaching people how to learn how to code. And some people are coming at that at that from like a tooling angle. And, um, Webflow is definitely trying to empower anybody to be able to, to, create things without code and i've i've just enjoyed the problem space a lot the company has been really wonderful to work for too um my first time remote i've never worked a remote job before in my life and Uh um it's it's i've actually really enjoyed that too so it's it's been an amazing product to work on too
1: awesome yeah i need to check it out uh joe mentioned it on the last um javascript jabber and he said that um, for one of his projects, he actually just put the page up on Webflow and with the remote conferences and some of the other things that I'm doing where, you know, I have sort of short lived um, content pages and I don't really need like a, a full on back end like a get with WordPress, you know, I just, I just need uh speaker pictures up and a place for people to register. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. We, it, it sounds we also... like that would be a good fit.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We also have like a, a whole cms thing too if you want it right like if you want yeah. the dynamic notion but what started out is sort of a landing page builder exactly like what you're talking about for more ephemeral um yeah. one-off pages and just kind of growing in in scope to try to empower more people to do more things yeah
1: that's cool so do you have any side projects that you're working on or anything that you're particularly excited to talk about there or? Yeah, it's kind of it's, kind
2: of, it's kind of, funny that we scheduled this today because, um, we're announcing framework summit today, which is a conference that we, that we're putting together. A few of us in the, in the JavaScript world, um, Joe being one of them. And it's going to be a, an awesome event in park city, uh, where we're, kind of having a meeting of the frameworks, if you will, trying to talk nice. about what commonalities there are across different tools. Like for example, WebAssembly is going to be this game changer for <laughs> for the web in general. And oh, what yeah. does that mean for us as as a whole, as an ecosystem? And and so creating an event that that brings people from each of these different communities um, into our larger JavaScript community to, to have some interesting conversations and to kind of learn about some of the innovations in the other worlds, if you will. Um, so I'm, so I've been working on that and, uh, I'm excited cause, cause I have, I, I stepped out of NGConf um, two years ago. Uh uh-huh. Um, so I haven't, I haven't organized an event for, for a little bit and happy to be helping with this one.
1: Yeah, that sounds terrific. I mean, for one, um, I think we generally talk about sort of the big three frameworks out there, you know, Angular, which has been around for a while, React, which has kind of taken over, and then Vue, which is kind of up and coming. And then we don't really talk about a lot of the other options, but there are other options that are doing interesting things. You know, Dojo, for example, we've had them on JavaScript Jabber. And, uh, you know, some of these other folks who are still doing interesting things with uh, frameworks that we've kind of moved on from generally in the community like Backbone. Um so it's just interesting to see yeah these different points of view and get what we can from having conversations with people who look at code different from how we do
2: oh so true so true and getting some of those common people um you know like webpack or uh uh, some of the browser vendors involved too um because because there's 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 quite a bit of overlap in each of these things like it's so funny how you can jump across the different tools and there's different names for the same ideas. Um, So, so I think, I think it'll hopefully, hopefully uh, help people. Yeah. uh, Cross pollinate ecosystems and ideas.
1: Awesome. Well, the last part of this uh, show is Pix.
0: Once again for a thirty day trial, go to GoFreshbooks.com slash dev and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about us section.
1: Do you have some things you want to shout out about?
0: Yeah, um
2: I picks were my favorite part about JS Jabber. I, I <laughs> when I was on JS Jabber with you, I was like, oh man, this is I mean the guests are really amazing, but the picks, that was that was the fun part. Um
1: you're so a meta- The only person I've heard that from, a lot of people really <laughs> like the picks. They're like, they're like, I learned something, and then I find out about really cool stuff.
2: Yeah, so, so my, my first pick would be the picks model of your podcast. It's a meta pick. That's got to be a first. My pick is the picks. The second pick is this incredible hip-hop artist named Sho Baraka. He's just fantastic. He's got kind of like a chill vibe, but he's a wordsmith um can't recommend them enough and my last pick would be this game called grid critters if you go i think it's Uh gridcritters.com it is it is uh have you played it i don't
1: know if you've played it i haven't played it we we had dave on the show he talked about it so
2: oh really oh man It, it is it is uh it's it's pretty darn cool it's got me thinking about different ways of more meaningful ways of making education into games. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. Gr- uh, GridCritters.com. Or Flexbox Zombies, if you, if you want to learn that one. Yeah. Flexbox kind of Zombies
1: thing. is free, isn't it? And then GridCritters is a paid course yes. slash game slash game. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're games, but they're, they're... Yeah, you learn through them. It's kind of like a turn-based game, almost. It feels yeah. like it's, it's pretty darn cool.
1: Yeah they're, yeah, they're really interesting to dive into, and I yeah. think I think he gave gave out a coupon code, so go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, yeah, and Dave is also an organizer of NG Comp, and you know you know him pretty well, so yeah. All right, well, I'm going to dive in with a few picks here. Um, so I'm down at NG Atlanta right now, um, which is a conference out here in Atlanta. Um, it's kind of fun when I travel down here cause I wind up hanging out with my cousins for a couple days <laughs> when I come to Atlanta.
0: Nice. Um,
1: and, and that's always fun. And, uh, Lyft is just an awesome way to get around. Um, I've, I've really had no problem and it's not terribly expensive. I can't even imagine what a, an actual cab would have cost me to get around. But anyway, so I'm going to pick Lyft. And then the other thing that I'm going to pick, I've been doing these uh, reviews of devices that folks have sent me after CES cause I went to CES in January. Um, and one of the ones that I just recorded an unboxing of, and, uh, I've been playing with a bit is called game vice. And what it is, is it's, uh, basically joystick controls for your iPhone. And so you slide your phone into it. It has a lightning connector. They also make them for Android. So you can, you know, that has the mini USB or whatever it is, micro USB. I can't remember which is which, but anyway, um, so you slide your phone into it. And then when you're playing games, like I've been playing final fantasy nine, um, you you'd use the joysticks and the buttons instead of swiping your finger across the screen. Oh, sweet! It's so nice. It makes that's been one of the deal breakers. So nice.
2: of, yeah, half half the half the mobile games are like non starters
1: because of the touch controls. Yeah. yeah, I mean the touch controls work, but they're just weird.
2: They're weird because you're over what you're looking at. Like yeah. your thumb's over the top of
1: yeah, yeah. So I mean, there have been like one or two things where I actually had to touch the screen in order to play, but for the most part, I've just been able to use the joystick and, um, you know, so you have the, the finger pads to move and the, you know, the plus with the arrows on it. And then you have all the buttons and you have the buttons on the top. So it's, it's kind of like an Xbox controller or, a um, yeah, basically like an Xbox controller that you stick your phone into. And so that's awesome. (laughs) That's so uh, cool. So I'm going to pick that as well. And, uh, yeah, I've just been, I've been really happy with it. And then lastly, um, while I'm traveling, I have uh, kind of a a setup for recording. I mean, I I don't know if people can really tell. I'm sure you can hear a difference between what I usually sound like and what I sound like now. Since I'm in the hotel room, um, I'm using the Audio-Technica 2100, and it'll do USB and uh, XLR. And anyway, it it just connects all this stuff uh, pretty easily. And then I just have my AirPods in so I can hear Merrick without it blasting through my speakers back into the microphone. So um, all in all, I'm I'm pretty happy with the whole setup and it works pretty well. So if you if you have to have a travel mic or you're looking for a, a kind of a less expensive microphone to get started podcasting with, I recommend this one. So anyway, um, one last thing, Merrick. Yeah. If people want to find you on Twitter or if you have a blog or things like that, where do they go?
2: I am Merrick, twitter.com slash I am Merrick, or my website's just MerrickChristensen.com. But especially on Twitter, if you hit me up, I will absolutely reply. I love talking to people and trying to help people.
0: All right, cool.
1: Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will talk to you later.
2: Cool. Thanks, Chuck.
1: Yep.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.